Hello, everyone. My name is Steve Fell. And I'm Julie Noble. And welcome to The Dropouts, the no BS, no holds barred podcast dedicated to helping educators like you find the nearest exit. And we are so excited to be with you today. I'm here with my co-host, Julie, and a friend of mine and colleague, Senya Mueller. And today we're going to spend some time talking with Senya. Senya is an expert in the field of talent acquisition. And we've talked a lot about the process of getting hired and the process of getting out of education. And, you know, you know, a lot of what we talked about has been lighting a fire under people's ass to get them out the door. Um, we've talked about the process quite a bit. And today we're going to get a little bit deeper dive into what the process of getting hired actually looks like. And so, first off, thanks, Senya, for joining yes, us. Yes, thank you, Senya. Appreciate you being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, let's get into it here then. First off, I think it's important for, for people to, um, you know, maybe understand our story a little bit. You know, we, we have an interesting story, just like Julie and I have one. Um, you and I have known each other for... Gosh, it's scary to say almost five years now, right? It's yeah. About that. And, um, you know, Senya was part of the hiring process when I first got hired into corporate learning and development um, a little over four and a half years ago. And she was part of that initial screening interview. And, um, you know, she was also part of uh, another interview that she doesn't like to talk about that she was, she was there at the start of my hiring and then was on the final day of my employment with our, our first company that we worked for. We worked with each other for two days. So she's hired and fired me. Um, she doesn't like to say that she fired me, but she was there when I was, what will we call that? When I was, um, there was a, a layoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was not a great day for either one of us, to be honest. We may, I make light of it a lot, but it, it was kind of a sucky day. But um, so she's been there at the beginning of my employment journey and at the end of it. And funny enough, um, you know, a couple of years later, she and I just uh, stayed in contact, stayed close and messaged each other quite a bit and um, still remain friends. And we had an opportunity where I work now, where we work now. And so the roles were a little bit reverse where I got to talk to her and brought her into the company and now we're colleagues again. So, um, kind of come full circle a little bit and, um, you know, because of her and her expertise, I've learned a ton about recruiting and how to get your foot in the door. So, uh, I don't think a lot of people though, know a lot about getting into the private sector from the public sector. Julie, would you agree with that? Did you have a pretty firm oh, grasp yeah, on no, that? Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, Sinyet, uh, thank you so much for being with us today because recruiting was a mystery to me. It took me four years to transition from public education into the private sector, and a lot of it was because I didn't understand how things work. So we're hoping you can set, shed some light on that today. No pressure at all on you to make it clear for every educator out there that listens to this. But um, first, could you tell us a, a little, you know, I know your background, but could you tell the listeners a little bit about your background, what you what you do, what you have done, and um, 
know, how you're involved in the recruiting process? Sure. I have over, uh, coming up probably on around uh, 15 years of experience in human resources and recruiting. So um, I've been in different roles in the world of human resources, but the majority of time I've spent um, in recruiting in different industries. But for the most part, I worked in healthcare. And just recently, a little over a year ago, I switched industries and I'm now working for a um, garment embellishment company, which is exciting. And, and I was actually happy to make a switch from healthcare. But yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm, I have been approached over the years uh, by many people, um, educators and people just who haven't changed a career in many, many years. And um, they don't know how to start. They don't know where to start. So I'm, I'm happy to answer some of the questions for some of your listeners. I'm going to watch your face and you know, our, our listeners won't be able to see it, but we went from selling drugs to selling t-shirts, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Legally, legally. legally. Legally, yes. yes. Pharmaceuticals, yes. To old not people. the not not those kind of drugs. The other yes, ones. no, the other kinds, the legal the ones. The legal ones. So, you know, you've been you've been very involved in recruiting for for a long time. Um, I think it's really important for people to understand. You know, I think as an educator, we're used to HR being a very, very, very small offshoot of educational administration. Some school districts don't have an HR department. Most smaller ones do not. Uh, the ones that do have HR departments, I think are a little bit outdated and archaic in the way they approach things. Um, and it's it's a one part of a lot of things that, that HR people do in schools. It's, it's they wear a lot of different hats. And so what is uh, somebody that recruits professionally what does that day typically look like? What does that job look like for those people that don't know? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I will start with just for those folks who might be not familiar um, with what recruiters do in general. So there are two, I guess, two distinct type of, types of recruiters out there. Um, there are third-party agencies that uh, partner with private um, or you know, public uh, nonprofit organizations, and they offer them recruiting services. So essentially, they find people for them. Um, they make some commission off of those hires, and then eventually those hires work for that organization. So that's what I call agency recruiting. Um, I've never actually worked for an agency myself, so I will talk more about in-house recruiters. Those are people who are hired, um, employed by the company, and they um, they recruit and hire people f into that organization. So agency recruiters work with multiple organizations, sometimes various industries, um, but uh, the in-house recruiters, like I said, work for just one company. Um, and I personally prefer that because I, I get to make connections. And I also get to see not just the full cycle of recruiting, but the full cycle of employment. Um, because I personally really care about making a good hire. And I know a lot of uh, recruiters, and how, especially in-house recruiters out there, really are truly looking for that perfect fit for the organization. So a day in the life of someone in a, in a recruiting role, um, and I already kind of mentioned the fact that we are always looking for that right fit. 
And in order to do that, we typically have meetings with the hiring managers to understand their needs. What are you looking for, especially if it's a role that I've never recruited for? I do spend a lot of time asking them questions, trying to understand not just the technical need, but just overall um, fit for fit as to what they're looking for. And, um, you know, we post jobs, you know, we come up with a job description, a job ad, uh, we post them. And um, once the resumes start coming in, we start looking at those, communicate with candidates, um, texting, emailing, calling, scheduling phone interviews. Um, there are times where we can't, we actually are not getting resumes coming in. There are times there are some positions out there that are hard to fill. And in that case, we actually go out and look for people on websites like LinkedIn, Indeed, other sources like that, where people post their resumes, they create profiles, and it gives, it allows us to kind of search through that database and reach out and say, hey, we have this great opportunity. Would you be interested? Um, So if we you know, we have found this great candidate, we'll provide the hire manager feedback and say, listen, we found this fantastic candidate. Would you like to schedule an interview? We'll typically send them some notes, some information, resume. Uh, and then they will set up an in-person, whether it's a virtual interview in person. And from there, depending on each position, we'll have different steps. From there, we'll start making offers and onboard and then do it all over again. The next day. The next day. So you you brought up a couple of interesting points that I think people need to be aware of and consider. Um, you know, I think there's a there's an idea that educators, um, you know, they send out a resume, they apply for a job, and this recruiter is going to just know immediately that I'm a great fit for this job. And you brought up something that I think a lot of people don't know or appreciate is you may not know a damn thing about that job you have to talk to the hiring manager. So, you know, would you think it would be um, challenging for a recruiter then if they don't know the job already? Do you, what are some things that you think might be a stumbling block for a recruiter if they see like a generic resume uh, when you maybe don't even know the job well yourself? Uh, yes, and I will say that there are more recruiters out there in that, in that particular situation. And in fact, I was, um, a little over about two years ago, I, I had started, I had started kind of, a a, a search, um, to dipping my toe into back into the world of trying to find potentially new opportunity. And I was interviewed by a recruiter who absolutely didn't know anything about the job. And I could feel the, when I was doing, she did the phone screen with me that the questions were just a list of questions and there was no follow-up and it was just boom, boom, boom. Um, so oftentimes they will, they don't know, especially if it's an agency recruiter and they might have anywhere from 40 to 70 positions they're recruiting for. Just imagine the kind of volume of people they have to go through every day and the positions change, especially if, if, they're, if the positions they recruit for change, they may not know them really well. And again, they don't have the connection as the in-house recruiters who get to work with people in these roles and they really know, they understand them. Um, in that case, um, you know, it's really important to look at the job description 
and um, and tailor your resume to that job. So that if recruit if that recruiter kind of has a few keywords <laughs> that they're looking for, which is usually the case, you don't want to send out a generic resume because that resume is not going to have those keywords they're looking for. So, and I, I think that's really key because I think educators have, have one resume. That's been my experience. That was me when I started, I had one resume and um, I didn't do a really good job understanding what a recruiter's day looks like, because had I known that I probably would have tailored the resume a little bit differently for each job. Um, so on an average day, you know, how many resumes do you think a recruiter might see? It depends on the role, but it can be anywhere from 20 to 300 resumes. Honestly, it's, it's, I know it's a big range, but it depends on the role. So there, there can be, you know, as few as 10 even. Um, and that would probably be some of the, some of the hard to fill roles some of the technical roles. And perhaps it can also be a really remote area and it's an on-site full on-site role. I, I noticed these days, remote, fully remote positions are, um, not as popular. I mean, not as, um, they don't come, you don't come across them as often as you would in 2020, 2021, because a lot of companies are starting to um, ask their employees to go back, at least hybridly. So the remote roles, I tend to see a lot of resumes come through. So Senya, if you have 300 uh, applications and resumes for one position, what does that look like? How much how much time are you able to give each of those? I don't think there's a recruiter out there that is able to look at 300 resumes. As much as I want to say I would like to give every single one of those 300 candidates an opportunity, uh, especially if we're looking at a three-week span and perhaps I have already you know, looked through the first 100 and found five fantastic candidates, I may not have enough time to go back. But to answer your question, if I do have a high volume of resumes, I, I will, I mean, we're looking at 20, 30 seconds max. <laughs> I mean, so I know some recruiters probably will even say 10. I'll give it at least 30. Okay. Well, you mentioned if you have a three-week posting period, you, you may have already looked at the first 100 applications. Does it, is it beneficial to apply early? Absolutely. The early, the early, the better. And once you start that um, you know, next role seeking process, you certainly want if you're if you're not on LinkedIn yet, uh, absolutely. Um, one of the first top top five things to do today after you listen to this podcast is to create a profile on LinkedIn. That's number one, number one. And, you know, if you are on LinkedIn, you start looking for jobs there is an option where you can create a notification every time you a job that fits what you're looking for, your requirements, um, every time it gets posted, you will be notified. And if you have an app on your phone, you will be notified that very second. So you can be one of the first 10 applicants who will apply. Okay. So that's, absolutely. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, is it... 
is it important to include a cover letter? I know a lot of times applications, well, all applications are online. And um, usually they give you an opportunity to upload a current resume and a cover letter. And I always wonder, is it worth it to spend the time writing a cover letter? Cover letter. Okay, so there's been a debate about cover letters for a long time. And if you go, if you Google, mm -hmm. should I include a cover letter or not, you're going to see points mm -hmm. for, for yes and for no, right? For including it, for not including it. So um, in my professional opinion, I believe that this is your opportunity to delve into some of the specifics of your experience, especially if you are transitioning mm -hmm. Um, from either one industry to another, you're making a career change. It's an opportunity to emphasize the relevance of your skills in relation to the job you're applying for. So this is where you can explain um, you're making a switch from a, a classroom teacher into a role in mm -hmm. um, an instruction, instructional design and you feel your abilities, your experiences, your skills would be an asset to the team. And then you can list some of those skills that you're going to bring to the company. Um, so I don't recommend it making it a one pager even. I mean, we're talking, again, we're talking about that 30 second attention span, right? So um, about four or five sentences, maybe easy to read. Do not make it a one pager. I just recently had someone um, send a cover letter and it was just a very generic, very long cover letter going from, oh, I started my education there and then I moved to blah, blah, blah. And then I, I went and worked for, for over there and it was just not relevant to the job and it was just so long and I, I just, I never finished it. So definitely make it mm -hmm. short to the point and showcase okay, why you. you're the best person. And let me, just to follow up to that, um, I, I can be a very judgmental person. So if I received a cover letter that went on and on and on, I would probably take that person's application mm -hmm. and set it aside. And I would say to myself, this person does not know how to communicate succinctly. And I, I would make a judgment um, about that person. Is that is that tempting as a, as a recruiter? Of course. You, I mean... And it's, it's a human factor, right? We are not machines, we're humans. And you might look at it and you might think one thing and I look at it and I might, and I might just think, well, this person, there might be, again, looking for a job mm -hmm. is like having another full-time job. So you probably remember when you were looking for a job, it's very time consuming. It's extremely time consuming. So that's another reason sometimes people feel like well, I don't have time to tailor my cover letter to every job. I'll just go for it. I, I'm just going to click apply and go. Because these days, applications no longer take 30 to 45 minutes to complete. Mm -hmm. We're talking about five, maybe max five minutes. So you can apply for a lot of jobs and you think that volume is, is good. High volume is good. And again, there might be some people who haven't looked for a job in a while. They just don't know. Um, what are some of the key things that they need to keep in mind and they need to do in order to move forward in the process? So, so yeah, I mean, I guess it's tempting for some people, but as a, somebody who's been in this role and in recruiting for so long, I, I have an idea of what, what, um, you know, what people could be, you know, where they could be in their career. But at the same time, mm -hmm. if I do have 300 resumes, 
and you have a very long cover letter, I'm not going right. to be able so to the, just physically uh, probably it. the advice is to tailor your resume to the keywords in the job posting and to be succinct and to the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Tailoring your resume to the job is, um, I mean, I'm going to highlight it, bold it, underline it. Um, it is, it is time consuming. Yes. Cause some of you are pro- who are listening, probably thinking, gee, I got to do this for every single job. Yes, absolutely. For every single job that you apply for. And I will tell you that, um, there are a lot of people out there who think, well, I'm just going to apply for 300 jobs. Somebody's going to get back to me. Mm-hmm. And then nobody gets back to them. And then I see these posts on LinkedIn where people are saying, I have been unemployed for the last six months and I have applied for 500,000 jobs and I haven't heard back. And I kept thinking to myself, well, have you changed anything? You know, um, it, it's better to apply to 10 ads, but really spend some time and tailor your resume to each, each and single one of them than to 300 uh, with your generic resume. So what you want to do is look at the job description and literally embed words from the job description into your resume. Literally, it's not plagiarism. We're not taking the whole job description, but we are looking for those exact keywords. And again, going back to the earlier thought, what we're saying, is a recruiter super familiar with the job? Are they going to know some of the synonyms or are they going to connect the dots and see, no, they, they can actually do the job. Sometimes they are really looking for some of those keywords. And it's important to relate your experiences to that, those specific requirements that are listed in the job description. And um, this will help the recruiter and the hiring manager see, okay, so there's a connection between Julie's skills and the job I'm hiring for. And um, that's, that's definitely what you want to do. So one of the things that I I think is really important for educators to know is, is that, you know, you've got to tailor your skills to the job. Uh, You know, when early on, I would just put everything I'd ever done in a, in a resume. And so, for example, if I were applying for an HR manager's job, I would just put, I'd have my generic resume, all the stuff I did as a principal, but you know, what I would need to do based on what you're saying is really probably cut out 70% of my resume and really mm-hmm. highlight the stuff specific to that job. So if I did investigations, if I was involved in employee discipline, if I was involved in collective bargaining, those are all things that have relevance to HR. Um, would you say that would be an accurate way or the best way to do that? And, you know, really eliminate a lot of the other stuff that really doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, um, it, it will depend, like you said, on what role you're applying for. So, you know, if, if you haven't written a resume in a while, um, as an educator, you might be tempted to outline your experiences simply, you know, taught fifth through sixth grade, assess 200 candidates, train new teachers and things like that. You might write some other things that might not be relevant to the job you're applying for. And um, and honestly, recruiting and hiring managers may, may have no idea what these experiences mean, right? So what, what does it mean for us? But instead, identifying some of the elements um, in the job description again, and then see how you can relate your experience and then list them out and explain the connection, right? If you've participated in training, 
you know, you can list out some of the specific programs, some of the skills that you have around building training programs, uh, whether it's facilitating training, whether it's coordinating, organizing and things like that, using online resources, specific softwares and things like that, that would be that would be tailoring your resume to, to for instance, a training specialist, a corporate training specialist role, for, as an example. Should I stay away from jargon specific to my my industry? Like education, like every other business, has its own specific terminology. Uh, terminology language. Do you think it's wise to steer clear of that because, you know, it may be too specific to the job that I'm currently yeah. in and may have, may, may be a totally foreign language to the recruiter on the other end of it? Yeah, I would steer clear from any jargon that doesn't make, wouldn't make sense to whoever is on the other side looking at your resume for that particular role. And there might be some terminology that will absolutely perfectly apply, you know, if it's uh, if it has to do with training. Perhaps there are some term there is some terminology that would apply. You know, you're you were teaching kids now you're teaching adults, so there might be some um, some relation there, relationship there. But um, anything else that doesn't apply, I would I would not recommend putting it in your resume. Teachers do have a lot of jargon. Um, I want to come back to a term you used uh, a couple times already in the interview, and I'm not sure that a lot of uh, practicing educators would know what a hiring manager is. Can you explain that? Sure. A hiring manager is essentially your future boss. This is someone who you would be working for, someone who will be interviewing you, making that hiring decision and selection decision and essentially eventually they will be your boss so we as recruiters we work with directly with hiring managers uh, and we like we try to we build relationship with with them we um, try to understand their needs their requirements um, and kind of recruit some of that somewhat recruit for them do that initial screening for them and then we present candidates to them and they make the final decisions. Thanks for explaining that because I know um, when I first got started, I would interview with recruiters and think, oh, I did really well. And then I'd hear back from the recruiter that the hiring manager doesn't want to interview you because she thinks that it's too hard for teachers to make the transition. And, and that was very confusing to me at first. And, and I think it's just helpful to understand these things are set up very differently than they are in a public school setting. Right. It's great that they got back to you and told you why, because that's really rare. (laughs) And and so let's talk about, uh, you know, some, some other differences here. So one of the things that, you know, we rely on in our business is the applicant tracking system, you know, the ATS and in education, there is one, um, there, there are a couple that are used pretty outdated, pretty, uh, pretty antiquated, to be honest. They want like three letters of recommendation and copies of your college transcripts and your teaching license and all that stuff. And, um, you know, you can't see, but send you smiling because in the private sector, we don't 
give a damn about any of that stuff, frankly. Um, but it's pretty outdated and what educators are used to doing. Uh, I just talked to somebody the other day. He's like, I'm thinking about applying for a job in the private sector and I've got to get all these letters of recommendation ready. Will you write one for him? I'm like, bro, you, you don't need one for the public sector or for the private sector. And he looked at me like I had like a third eye grown out of my forehead. Like, are you serious? And I said, absolutely. So um, our friend in, in the HR world, when it comes to recruiting, is something called the ATS or the Applicant Tracking System. Senya, can you talk a little bit about what the ATS is and then maybe um, more specifically how I can leverage the ATS to get myself a job interview? Yes, I will talk about ATS in a second, but I just want to t uh, get back to what you just mentioned about the recommendation letters. Um, on the one hand, yes, you you don't really need them, and no one's going to ask for them, and and um, probably I mean you can't submit them with your resume for sure because no one's going to read them. But at the same time, what you could do is uh, if you don't have your LinkedIn profile, again, please go on LinkedIn and create a profile for yourself. And what you can do is you can ask your fellow coworkers or your, your managers, former, former managers to um, post a recommendation for you on your LinkedIn profile. So that if I'm a recruiter and I'm sourcing, which is a jargon, <laughs> recruiting jargon, um, which is where I'm going on LinkedIn a resume or, or profile database. And I, I come across your profile or whether you applied and I looked you up on LinkedIn, I can already kind of see your recommendations in there. And I you know, may not be able to read them all, but if I'm interested in your candidacy, I don't have to go ask for them. So it's just kind of making, making your profile a lot stronger. Um, so I would recommend doing that perhaps instead of the recommendation letters. So, and then you asked the question about the applicant tracking system. So those are, that's um, ATS for short, applicant tracking system. It's a software that most companies these days use. They have, I mean, there are applicant tracking system anywhere from really, really small, it's uh, really easy to use and um, not very expensive one to, to extremely robust and expensive. Um, ATS that can do so many things. They help companies manage the recruiting and hiring process. Um, it cuts down on a lot of administrative tasks. So it collects resumes from many job boards. And when we, when we post a position, we don't go to LinkedIn and Monster and Career Builder. We don't go to each and single one of those job boards. ATS does it all for us. It collects resumes, it can sort them, it can rank them, it can give them a weight, let's say a nine out of 10, eight out of 10, score them and things like that. It can automatically reject candidates based on either keywords that were missing from the resume or based on knockout questions. Um, and overall, it just cuts down, automate, automates a lot of administrative tasks. So it allows recruiters to um, you know, attract, source, and interview, evaluate candidates faster and more efficiently. So how do I beat the ATS if I'm an applicant? How can I, how can I use that to my advantage? Because the, there's, there's definitely, without tipping your hand too much here, there's definitely some ways that a candidate can 
can knock themselves out very quickly with the ATS, but there's also some ways that they can get in front of a recruiter by using the ATS wisely. Could you talk a little bit about that? Of course. And this goes back to what I mentioned here a few minutes ago about the keywords, literally taking the keywords from the job description and embedding it into your resume, looking at what are some of the requirements, the day-to-day tasks, and just embed them randomly around in your resume. Um, and that way, and, and if you are wondering what some of the keywords are, I will say that if it has, it depends on the role, of course, but it's usually some of the must-haves that I would absolutely embed and don't change the wording. May, I mean, copy and paste it. I mean, you can, you, you can, let's say, move those words around in your resume, but uh, do not paraphrase it. That's where that applicant tracking scanning comes through, right? It sees the word white, it picks it up, it moves it forward, right? Or if it needs to be white, blue, and green, okay, I see white, blue, and green, moving this resume over to the next step. So that would be a way I would say. Um, Number, that's one thing. Another thing is some applicant tracking systems don't like um, weird formats, like if it's a you know, if it's a like a picture format, like a JPEG or any other, it may reject your resume. So use either PDF or Word. I would say Word is the safest option. Um, don't put links. Don't put pictures on just to be 100% safe. Um, your resume is not going to kick. Okay. Some some applicant tracking systems will could read your resume as spam because it has links and uh, but. Yeah, it's it's better to just use Word and uh, no links, no no pictures. Well, that makes me wonder how many times my resume has gotten kicked out of an ATS because I have my portfolio linked. Yeah, um, like I said, I uh, the ATS that I have used, the various types of ATS that I've used, uh, we have. We've never had an issue with resumes being rejected, but again, if you are someone who's transitioning from uh, ed- education world into private, I know it's going to be hard, right, to get that foot in the door. So whatever you can do, you can kind of listen. Let's just check all the boxes, right? I've done all of this and this and the other, and I have, you know, at this point, if you write a LinkedIn post and say I've applied to 500 jobs, you can feel good about yourself. Listen, I've done everything I could to, to get that next role uh, versus kind of being not right. in and not knowing right. what's well, that, going on. That's helpful. Um, and I, I think it's helpful for teachers to know um, that it is a time consuming process and it is a learning curve and it's going to take a while. Um, but let, let's talk about what happens after the application and the resume. Um, let's. Can you walk us through what it looks like when you interview a candidate, and then uh, how the process moves after the initial interview? Sure. It depends on the role. Mm-hmm. I know I say that a lot, but it really, even within our company, our processes are a little bit different for different roles, different departments, different geographical locations, units, and such. But um, typically, after uh, 
a res a recruiter submits a resume with our notes and the hiring manager says, okay, this candidate looks like they I'm looks like I'm I'm interested in speaking with this candidate. So the next steps are typically either a video interview or an on-site interview. Um, and it depends on the that particular company and what their process is, or maybe they're hiring for someone who maybe for for hiring for someone in a different location or a remote. It's a remote position. So we typically, recruiters will set up those interviews and uh, you show up either virtually or in person. Um, and it could be a panel interview. It could be one person interviewing you. It could be multiple interviews within the same day or it could be multiple interviews spread out throughout several days. Um, it could be some, it, there could be tests, assessments, all sorts of other hoops that you have to jump through and different companies. I just recently heard that, well, I maybe it's nothing new. I just never, I've never been familiar with a one way interview where a recruiter sends you a link where you have to click on. And um, I guess a robot asks you a question, four or five questions and they record you answering those and they make um, the decision whether to move you to the next step or not. Those are creepy. I did. I had one of those once. It's really unnerving, yeah. to say the least. If I if there was somebody in my company who would force those, I would be strongly against those. I I don't think that they are a good way to um, see if the candidate is a fit or not. I am all about trying to try to try to talk to a person at least have a phone conversation with them. Yeah, give them I, twenty minutes of your time. I would agree. Like that, that was uh, yeah. it was hard. You know, I'm used to human interaction, and and you're just basically talking to yourself, which made it very challenging. Yes, yes, I'm I'm not a fan of those, but there are things like that out there. Yeah. There are um, all sorts of tests and assessments, and um, and I've had. There, I've had experience where I was interviewed by 12 people. I had five different interviews Yeah, by 12 people and um, didn't get the job, but that was the experience. So there, again, it, it's very, I was interviewed by several peers where typically in organizations, you are not getting interviewed by peers, typically someone in, um, in, a, uh, in a management role, direct or indirect. So yeah, again, the more you start interviewing, and maybe if you if you haven't had any interviews for for forever, and any interviews that you've had were for positions in education, I would say don't stress too much about your first few. They're going to be a little bit rocky, right? There's going to be where you're just going to get used to some of those interviews or new questions, just the way. Um, it's just like with everything you do, the first one is going to be hard, and then once you have two or three and then the next one you come in you, you'll be a lot more confident in yourself and you'll you'll maybe not every process the same but at least you've gone through it several times and you you brought up something too so you know i'm i'm very familiar as, as senya knows with uh, a bunch of different behavioral assessments and, and she is as well and you know you may be asked to take a, an assessment of some sort and, and i've seen people overthink those a whole bunch you, with, with the behavioral assessment, you don't always know what the employer is looking for. And so you, 
your your best bet is to fill it out to the best of your ability and just be honest and genuine because you really don't know what the target is. And I've seen some people try and outthink the thing, the the assessment and almost outthink themselves right out of a job. And so when when you're given that opportunity to, I think you just got to be honest and genuine when you take the assessment. And if you're fit, you're fit. And if you're not, you're not and move on. You can always Google, look it up. Yeah. What is it? Understand what they're what they're looking for. What what is it about? Yeah. And most of those typically will send you your results as well, so that you know what you've taken and you know the information that your potential employer has. So with with these interviews, let's say I get lucky. You know, there's there's a very low percentage of people that apply for jobs that get an interview. But let's say I get lucky. You know, or, or let's say I look really good and I, I do a great job standing out. When I'm when I'm having these interviews, what are some things that I can do to stand out with a recruiter or with a hiring manager? And what are some things that might be some red flags that you know you may hear on the other end as a recruiter or a hiring manager that might give you pause as as someone um, you know potentially moving this candidate along in the process? So to stand out or some of the things that I would recommend and I've seen work well and and, um, accepted by managers really well. So research the company. I mean, some some of these tips are going to be kind of obvious, but Research the company. Um, what do they do? Kind of look at some of the history. When were they found? When was the company founded? Um, look at their recent social media posts on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, what are some of the news? Just learn the role really well. And um, I mean, from what you can read about it, right, on their career site, learn about their business, the industry, just fully understand what you can, right? You can watch some some YouTube videos perhaps you can find about the candidate, about the um, the company. Um, if they mention particular software, for instance, uh, learn about it. Even if you've never worked in that particular software, I recommend learning a little bit. Go on YouTube, um, try to find demos and things like that so that learn enough to say you're familiar r- rather than, oh, um, you know, have you had experience with Canva? Um, never heard of this before. Have you had experience with Canva? Yes, I'm familiar. I mean, unless they ask you to elaborate, you certainly don't want to be to provide untruthful information. But at the same time, if it's a quick question and you're familiar, it's a check in the box. Another one is ask good question, good questions, and ask some questions. Number one, um, not questions about. When can I take my PTO? It shouldn't be your first question. <laughs> or how much PTO do you have? Um, just ask them questions. Show the genuine interest in the company and in the role. And when they, even when they, when they ask for, let's say you haven't had an opportunity to just share how great of a fit you are um, from all the questions they've asked you, this is an opportunity when they say, do you have any questions? And you can say, yes, I do. But before um, I ask them, I just want to say, that I really truly believe I'm a great fit for because X, Y, and Z. I think your company is fantastic. I think it's be a perfect fit. I looked at some of your posts, some of the community work you've done that really resonates with me because I do a lot of community work. And that's you know, maybe try to find some connection there um, because a lot of companies these days are looking for not just the, the technical fit per se, but also the culture fit, 
the and the, learn about the company's mission, vision, their goals, and you can also make a comment around that as well. I read about your vision and you know what my or your values, my values align with your company's values. That's huge as well to hear to the hiring managers to kind of like you can it hits home. It makes because it just kind of creates this comfortable, cozy feeling that this person it could be a, a good fit for the team and the company overall. But as far as the questions are concerned, um, I mean, uh, for instance, you could ask some of the good questions um, if you're applying for a, a webinar facilitator, which I think educators would be fantastic at. By the way, that's my professional opinion. Um, a lot of webinar facilitator jobs out there. Um, and uh, the reason for that, it's a great marketing tool, great sales tool. So companies like to educate their audience, their uh, customers and their potential customers. So a question could be, what, uh, what does a day of a webinar facilitator look like? Or um, what are the six months goals uh, for the, a webinar facilitator? Uh, where is the organization going within the next five years? Um, so those would be, I guess, a, a few of some of the, the good uh, good things to, to that come to mind. Um, when it comes to interviews, I always say rule of thumb, um, don't disclose too much personal information, even if you feel like you've connected with a hiring manager, whoever you're speaking with. Um, it's okay to have a small talk, but um, you know, don't go too much talking about your personal information, only job related. And I guess your other question was some of the interview killers, their immediate red flags. Um, some things are going to be pretty obvious <laughs> being late, you know, wearing inappropriate attire. And I always say it's better to be overdressed than underdressed. If you are not sure where, where a um, business professional um, attire and you're going to be. Tuxedo, tuxedo t-shirt. Business tuxedo. appropriate or no? Do you think? Tuxedo t-shirt. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, depends on what company. Okay. But Fair enough. Certainly. And, and maybe some people that are listening thinking the tech companies don't care about your attire. Maybe they don't. <laughs> maybe they don't. Um, but uh, it doesn't have to be a suit, of course. It's just a you know, business professional attire. It's always it's look nice, pre well prepared. Um, another red flag I would say is talking bad, bashing your previous company. Um or you know your education system, and then because the typical question would be, "Oh, why are you leaving the education world?" Well, I hated everything. <laughs> I hate my superintendent, or things like that. I, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not um, bringing any bad memories for anyone. But you know, blaming, complaining, gossiping, bragging. I loved all my superintendents. I don't know. I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. <laughs> Well, there are probably there are lots of people listening, so who knows? That might be a sore subject for some people. But yeah, try not to talk bad about anybody. Really, positivity all the way. Um, another one that can be more of a know, yellow flag, maybe not a red flag, but short answers. I've been on interviews where <clears throat> you ask a question and a person answers with 
you know, two words, two, three words, and they don't elaborate. And it's not just one question, but all the questions. And you kind of have to constantly follow up and ask more questions to get more information. On the flip side, again, rambling, talking way too much. You don't want to do that either. Sharing, um, like I said, personal information, oversharing, and not showing eagerness and excitement excitement about about the role. You really need to show you're excited. You're genuinely, genuinely really interested in the role, really want to be part of the team. You're, you're motivated. You're eager to start. You're going to be you're going to hit the ground running. You're going to meet all their goals, deliver the deliverables. You kind of have to give them that attitude. I can do the job and I can do it really well. And I am motivated. Um, there are a lot of companies that are struggling with having engaged staff. And well, it's actually part of what Steve and I do at our current company is um, some of the engagement activities for our employees. And um, we're doing great as a company, but there are a lot of companies out there that are struggling with engagement. So they are starting their cycle from the moment they hire someone and they see that they're they're going to be engaged because they really want this job, right? They, they're not only a fit, but they really want this job. So show them, show them your eagerness. So one thing uh, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about this. At, at what point, what's the fine line between being persistent and annoying as a job seeker? So um, mm -hmm. I know you get a lot of correspondence with, with candidates. Where's that point where I, be, I become persistent with, you know, I'm going to network and I'm going to contact you to where I've just gone completely over the top where I'm calling you every five minutes getting, asking for updates <laughs> about the job. Yeah. Well, the last part definitely would be extremely annoying. Because uh, you imagine if every candidate would be doing that to someone whose full-time job is recruiting. And, you know, we we work with anywhere from 20 to 100 people every single day. So if everybody were doing that, they, that would be uh, tough on, on recruiters. So as far as the fine line, um, it is okay to follow up. It is absolutely okay to follow up. And again, because some recruiters, and you wouldn't know that in any sort of way, right? Unless a recruiter shares with you, oh gosh, I have to fill 75 positions. It's a lot. And I've worked with, for companies where um, uh, I had, we had a team, I had a team and we, each team member and recruiting department had somewhere between 60 and 70 requisitions, position requisitions. Um, that's recruiting jargon right there for you. Um, so anywhere from 60 to 70 positions they're working on. And it is, you can only spend so much time on each, right? So, um, so yeah, it, I would say it's okay to follow up and, and recruiters might might forget they talk to you. That happens too. We're all humans. We don't do this on purpose. We might forget to follow up with you. Um, and this is where the applicant tracking system really helps us to send a follow-up email. But um, a couple of times you can make a phone call, maybe wait a week, um, send another email. Uh, but I would not recommend doing it every single day or even every other day. Give it at least a week. Uh, follow up two times. Okay, I would say three. Three is maximum that I would recommend following up. 
and it could be different follow-ups when I when I say three, one email, whether they were communicating with you through text messages, one email, one text, one call. But I wouldn't go beyond that. Awesome. Well, Senya, we really appreciate you spending time with us and demystifying the whole process of how to work with recruiters, how to attract the attention of recruiters. Um, Is there anything we haven't asked you that you think is important for job seekers to know? Um, There are a couple of tips that I guess I can also mention from my experience is, and already talked about LinkedIn multiple times and can't, can't stress that enough. Um, uh, Asking people to leave your recommendations on your LinkedIn profile and starting to network. So networking is huge. And, um, and that you can start with networking through LinkedIn, connecting with recruiters or other educational professionals, perhaps who are currently working at a private sector following companies you want to work for you can even find if you if you find a company you go on their page you and you click on people you can see people that work there and if it's for instance the same role you're looking you're looking to get into you can connect with employees that work there um, and even if you don't get a job there you know, make sure uh, you can connect with some of those folks and you can, some of them can be really open to helping you answer some of your questions even, right? Um, and even if you don't get a job at a particular company, go on their career site and see if you can add your resume to their talent community. And some of the, some companies have that on their career site where your resume just sort of ends up in this general pool, but Applicant tracking also serves as a database that we can search as recruiters. And one day, I mean, it it may not happen tomorrow and who knows when this will happen, but it's still another way to kind of get your foot in the door in in that company. We can search through the database and your resume could pop up and sign up for updates about newly posted jobs on these career sites. So you get notifications about new jobs at that particular company. And when it comes to networking, it's another one that I would bold and highlight and underline. In my career, there was only one job that I had that I have applied and and interviewed for. Now, I've been interviewed for other jobs in my career as well, but I I found all, all other jobs through networking, knowing people, talking to people. So whether it's, you know, joining online forums, professional associations. Uh, I know there's a training professional association. There are probably other professional associations in the field that you're looking into. Um, Are there some particular certification courses you could take to help you get into the next step? And then network with people. Are there other local events you could go to um, you know, career, you could get career advice from those professional connections and you can get new ideas. You can get so much valuable information from people that work in that particular industry. Um, you know, and when it comes to, if you're someone, if you're an educator, you probably don't have issue connecting with people. Right. Um, but in initially it might be a little bit interesting and challenging because you haven't done it before. But I would recommend asking people questions because people like talking about themselves, 
most people like talking to you, ask them about, well, tell me about your journey. And most people are going to be so happy to tell you about their journey, about their career. And then from there, you kind of warmed warm that conversation up, you can ask some questions that maybe are specific to the role you're looking for. Do you know anyone? You know, I have really been looking for a while and, and, you know, it's so hard to make that transition, but I believe I'm fantastic at all this. I have so many transferable skills and this and that. So um, work on that elevator pitch, right? I know a few people are familiar with what the elevator pitch is. If you get on an elevator with someone and you have 30 seconds to tell them, just kind of present yourself, sell your your personal brand. What would that be? Um, and uh, let's see what else. I guess I also wanted to mention regarding the resume specifically, just a couple of really quick tips in addition to what we already talked about. Um, I wouldn't recommend making a resume of more than two pages. Um, and one one pager just don't try to cram everything into one page. If you have a lot to put on, put it on two pages. But I honestly, I've seen resumes as uh, big as 12 pages. And I don't recommend going. <laughs> I don't recommend making such a long resume. No one's going to read that. And um, I also recommend adding some, some, um, some numbers to your resume. I think that's really important for hiring managers, they're always looking for how can you make an impact? How can you, um, you know, you're, are you just someone who's just doing the job? Or are you someone who's thinking about the angle and the metric? So use data numbers to make your experience more compelling. And um, an example that I thought about for, for instance, is um, created and organized an AI-based program in grades four through six and increased student academic achievement in math from 48% proficiency to 72% proficiency, um, which I have not done personally. This is just some, some random example I thought of. I don't even know if there's an AI-based program that could do that, but there probably is or somebody's working on it. Um, so including this type of data, what it does, it shows a hiring manager that your hard work and skills increase productivity within your organization. Um, showcase your achievements, shows that you, um, you, know, you care about the outcome. And, you know, if you, again, you want to tailor some of those numbers to the role, um, but, you know, if you are applying, for instance, for a writer position, you may want to add some achievements around writing programs, writing training programs, writing newsletters for your school system, anything else like that, that would be compelling, that you'd have some compelling numbers to share. And you can guesstimate. It's okay. It doesn't have to be, oh gosh, where do I find these numbers now? You know, you could just kind of guesstimate what have you done? And I'm sure every single teacher in their career have, um, has some examples like that that they could add to their resume and um yeah could could there if you're applying for a writer role and you need, need to build your portfolio you can offer some services pro bono to companies locally and if they like your work ask them to write your recommendation put it on linkedin um you know there are some internships you can join too that are on i know some of them might be unpaid but some of those professional internships where it doesn't mean that you have to go to school, get a degree and get an internship like that, but 
it's an internship for to get your foot in the door, to get some experience. And there are plenty um, of those. And again, professional networking could be a way you could get uh, those internship and say, hey, I'm really looking to get my foot in the door, but I've been struggling for the last, I don't know, five or however many months. Um, you know, and if you go to a local professional association chapter, you can talk to people and say, hey, I would be willing to do an internship. You know, and they're either unpaid or, you know, paid like someone that's right out of school an hourly rate. But that way you get some experience you can then speak about and say, yeah, I have. And it also shows to a potential hiring manager that you're really dedicated. Wow, you went out your way to find an internship to to do this graphic design work or whatever that might the case might be. Um, you know, those would be some of the things. And Lastly, I just want to say, don't think of yourself as a teacher. Your experiences and skills, they, they um, align with so many jobs outside of teaching. And it's just a matter of how you present them in your profile and your resume. And you are an asset to your educational facility now, and you'll be an asset wherever your career transition takes you next. Wow. That's some pretty awesome stuff. I feel like, you know, we've talked about so many things today that I am envisioning like that, that gif of like the nerdy guy that kind of looks like Steve Jobs, who's like head explodes, like mind blown. I think for a lot of people, there are going to be some minds that are blown because I don't think they've ever really thought about the, the job search in these terms ever before. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us today because I think of all the stuff we've talked about, I think this is probably the most meaningful and impactful thing yet for educators because they just don't know how to how to position themselves in a way, some acknowledgement from somebody like you. I, I wish I would have listened to this podcast before I transitioned, before I started this, because everything you've talked about, I had to learn the hard way. So this podcast, it's, it's like a huge gift to people. It's packaging all of these secrets and tips into one place. And if they follow uh, your advice, they will increase their likelihood of getting interviews and, and getting that job. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on today. I, it was a pleasure. I, I'm, I'm really excited uh, that I had this opportunity to share my experience with your listeners. I do truly hope that it will help those that are listening and um, wish you all the best. Good all luck. right. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in today. I'm Steve. And I'm Julie. And we are the Dropouts. Tune in again next time. Bye. See ya. Bye.